I guess that was my aha moment or my epiphany that I cannot let this disease destroy me. I can't. And I tell caregivers, yeah, this would be really easy for me to sit here in a heap, right? I feel sorry for myself. But that's not going to do me any good or anyone else any good. Welcome to a season of Caring Podcast, where there's hope for living, loving, and caring with no regrets. This is Raina Nysis, your host, and today we have guest Betsy Slow. Betsy's a retired, licensed practical nurse and teacher's aide. She's the mom of an adult son with special needs and his caregiver, and she has experienced Alzheimer's in multiple relationships, from her mother-in-law first to her dad, and finally to her husband. Matt had early onset Alzheimer's at age 56. Matt's journey changed her life for the better. She found her gifts, power, and her voice. Matt's journey was a battle from getting a diagnosis to getting proper hospice care. She went into her car to raise awareness of early onset Alzheimer's, which at that time, there wasn't much information available. The doctor said that Matt was just too young. She started talking about caregiving and showed and shared Matt's journey. In September of 2019, Betsy was given her own show, Chatting with Betsy. She's the creator and founder of Kick Alzheimer's Ass Movement Group on Facebook. Matt passed in June of 2020, and she told him she would carry on her work and honor his memory. Her mission is for no one to walk this journey alone during caregiving or after. Welcome, Betsy. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you, Raina, for having me. I appreciate it. So in your bio there, it mentions you went to your car. Tell us more about that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I could laugh about it now. I <laughs> I went to my car to raise awareness because I was mad. People would say, Betsy, you're brave. No, I wasn't brave. I was just mad and angry. And I had to channel my anger. I used it into a positive and it became my passion. I wasn't going to let Alzheimer's destroy me yeah. and my anger to destroy me. So I went in my car and started to show Matt's picture and say, this is the face of Alzheimer's. I dispelled the myth. It's not an old person's disease. Yes. It is not a natural part of aging. And then I started talking about caregiving. Never thought anyone would listen to me. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> And I was surprised. I was really surprised. And I would get Raina overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. With most comments saying, Betsy, you're saying what I feel, but I won't say. Mm. And I'm a Jersey girl, so. <laughs> you say it all. <laughs> yeah. And my father's daughter, so very straight up. You know, and I, I was not yeah. going to sugarcoat this disease at all for anybody. You know, as I look back on our journey, after losing my dad in June of 18, my sister and I, of course, went through the family home and cleared things out and sold it. And we found some things from my dad. And one of the things that I think made me so sad was finding some journal writing that he did while he was caring for my mom. My mom was only 53 when she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's Uh back in 1986. He went through that journey very much alone. We supported him as much as he would let us. But those deep down emotions, he really did keep them to himself. And I think so many caregivers don't know what to do with those emotions. So I love that you channeled it in a way that not only helped you, but also has been helpful to others. 
Uh, thank you. I also went for counseling. Yes. <laughs> that helped too. Mm, I'm sure. Definitely. There's no reason for us to do it alone. So you have a support group. Tell us about that. Yes, I created and founded a hashtag kick Alzheimer's Ask Moment. And people say, why did you name it that? Because there's other, you know, dementias. Mm-hmm. I said, well, because Alzheimer's affected my family. And I was in a dark hole, a rabbit hole. And I said, either it's going to kick my rear end or I'm going to kick its rear end. I was actually thinking how the railroad tracks were uh, at work, winter versus summer. I would never would have committed suicide. But why I had these thoughts, I don't know. I was in such a dark place. I didn't want to face what was coming. Yeah. And I said, no, I'm not going to leave my family. I could never leave my family. And I got to get out of this hole. I'd never go back in and kick its butt. Mm -hmm. And uh, people say, well, how do you kick it, Betsy? I go, you know how you kick Alzheimer's butt? You live your life. Mm -hmm. You go live your life and enjoy life. And your loved one with the diagnosis, you take them out as much as possible. Do the things that you can do while you still can. And don't sit around and wait to die. Don't sit around and wait or wonder, how am I going to live through this? How am I going to get through it? Just enjoy the time you have with your loved one. And um, be, I know it sounds cliche, but just be aware. Be mindful of your time and love up on your loved one. And that really, I, I guess that was my aha moment or my epiphany that I cannot let this disease destroy me. I can't. And I tell caregivers, yeah, it would be really easy for me to sit here in a heap, right? And feel sorry for myself. Mm-hmm. But that's not going to do me any good or anyone else any good. And there's so much work to be done, as you know, Raina, with the caregivers supporting. It takes a village. As you know, because you went through it. Yeah. And I don't want anyone ever to be alone like I was. I didn't have any support for 14 years with different people who had Alzheimer's. And it it was tough. I almost Mm -hmm. had a nervous breakdown. I mean, I will admit that. And I went for counseling. And I highly recommend going for counseling. And I said, you know what? I never saw myself as the leader. And I'm like, I can't do a group. I was going to wait till after Matt died. And someone said to me, Betsy, you can't. People need you now. We need a group now. And so uh, my friend, Lori Lepore, her sister was dying of Alzheimer's. And she said, I'll help you. I met Lori through a support group. So I was, I I still can't believe it. (laughs) I still can't believe that I do what I do. I mean, if anyone would have told me a few years ago, I'd be a talk show host. I'd be like, no way. (laughs) No way. <laughs> well, and I think one of the benefits of this disease, there are not very many, but one of the benefits is really understanding today's probably about as good as it gets. Mm-hmm. And realizing that it's not perfect. It's not what we had before that relationship with our loved one or being able to go and do the exact same things we've done before. But today's the best day you've got because tomorrow there's probably going to be some sense of progression. And it might not be tomorrow, but it's going to be faster than you realize it. I think one of the things that while you're carrying, the time just gets so confusing. You think you're going along fine, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh, he hasn't said my name. I wonder how long it's been since he said my name. Those things that disappear, they disappear 
whenever they're going to disappear. And so the one thing I think that can really help us with Alzheimer's is knowing that today's the best day we got. So let's do it now. Let's go ahead and take advantage. That's true. Very true. And I mean, even during the course of a day, you know how things change. And you had to develop a sense of humor. I developed a dark, twisted sense of humor. <laughs> My husband, Matt, would be, would be, um, well, he started to hallucinate too. He would say to Josh and I, you're the best. I love you guys. Thanks for helping me. And the next minute he's cursing us out. Mm. You had to laugh. What are you going to do? Yeah. So hard. And at the same time, it sounds like you found yourself in a really deep, dark place and you found the help that you needed to get out of that. So how did that then help you take care of yourself better from that point on? I had to learn. I had to take care of myself, take time for me, whether it's um, I used to go to the bathtub, listen to John Denver. And to pretend I was in the mountains and fantasized about the mountains, the beach, where there was deep breathing, going to the mall for a few hours. It's very difficult for caregivers because I would feel guilty. I'm taking time away from Matt. I'm not spending it with him. I should be spending it with him. But yet I need to recharge my battery. Mm -hmm. And I have to say this because I say this all the time. Caregivers. Self-care is not an option. It's a matter of life and death. That's how serious it is. It's your life. It'll be your death. The mortality rate with caregivers is so high. You have to take care of yourself. You have a right to enjoy life during caregiving. You have a right to enjoy life after caregiving. And if you want to enjoy it, you have to take care of yourself. Make the time. And don't. I tell people, don't be like me. Learn from my experience. Have people to help you. Mm. I wish I did. I wish I, especially with hospice, picking hospice out, I wish I hired somebody. So tell us more about what support you did have and what support you didn't have. Well, in 2014, I joined Facebook and I went crazy joining <laughs> support groups because I didn't have any. Mm -hmm. And I went, wow, there's people who actually feel the way I do. I'm not the only one. Mm -hmm. And I learned from other caregivers because we teach each other. Definitely. And people were, some of them were underground support groups because they were embarrassed or ashamed mm. to say how they really felt and afraid of being judged. And I learned that, you know what, it's okay not to be okay, which is, I know, another cliche, but you know what? You're going to feel sad. You're going to feel depressed. It's normal. And, you know, I thought I had to be the superwoman. I worked. I took care of Matt, took care of the house. I took care of my son. And I thought I had to be able to do it all and keep smiling. And I'll tell you what, what drives me nuts. Like I said, I'm a Jersey girl. Please, people, if you're not a caregiver, don't tell other people to be strong. Don't tell them that. Because I'll tell you what. You're a caregiver. You are strong. We are human beings. We're not robots. And we will cry. When our loved one is dying, we will, will cry. It is not weakness. And it is not weakness to go for help. And I want your audience to know that it's okay if you need to take antidepressant. It's okay to go for counseling. I go for grief counseling now. I'm not ashamed. 
it's hard when you lose your spouse. It's hard when you lose your parent and definitely a child. I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I hope to God I never had that pain, but you know, it, there is, it is a sadness and your heart's forever broken. Yes. But life does go on. It's not the same, but it goes on. So that'd be a whole nother show, right? I'm dealing with <laughs> what people say. You just want to like, <laughs> like, Stop. <laughs> yep, yeah. We need my... to do better at listening versus offering <laughs> advice, don't we? <laughs> yeah. Um, I videoed Matt's journey. And people would, like when Matt was dying, would say to Josh and I, be strong. Why? Why do I have to be strong? And my mom would tell Josh, be strong for your mom. And I go, please do not tell him that. He has a right to cry. His yeah. father is dying. He's losing his dad. He has every right to cry and show emotion. That's how people end up being sick and snapping. Yes. Because, definitely. you know, we need to validate our feelings and acknowledge our feelings. And and it's okay. And I had to give this advice because my counselor gave me this advice two years ago. He said, Betsy, it's okay to have a pity party. Time your timer for 15 minutes. That's right. And pick it up and move it along. Best advice I ever had. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I totally agree. I tell people that too. (laughs) Set your timer. Be as bad as you want. Cry as much as you want. Talk about how unfair it is. It it, That is normal. There is all of those emotions are inside of us. And if we don't process Mm -hmm. those emotions, they just bubble and fester and turn uglier. And so if we allow ourselves a set amount of time, once that timer goes off, I always say, get up and do something. Make yeah. one step in the right direction for that day and it will change everything. So that's such a great thing to mention because I think even in our caregiving journeys, there are small losses we have to be acknowledging. So the end of the journey is a, is a very difficult place to be, but in the middle as well. Because if we don't acknowledge those losses throughout the journey, it makes the end even worse, I think. Yes. And with each skill lost, we grieve. Mm-hmm. You know, when they took away Matt's car, it's sad to give away his lawnmower when he's still alive. Yeah. It was, it's, it, you do, you know, when Matt can no longer cut his food and I'm cutting his food, ordering for him in a restaurant. I still worry, you know, I, what do those people think <laughs> that I'm ordering for him? But then I went, you know what? I don't care. If I don't stare at me and you think whatever they want, you just can't care what people think, really. Yeah. It's really none of our business. That's what I was told. None of your business, what people <laughs> think. So, That's helped me a lot. Yeah. (laughs) So it sounds like there's quite a few things that you learned with your self-care. You learned what things helped to rejuvenate you, like the bathtub and the taking time to deep breathe and to meditate and even to take a vacation in your brain, it sounds like. Another self-care item was getting help and going to counseling and being able to work through something with a professional. What other self-care tips do you have? Take care of your health. Mm. Don't put on a back burner. It's so sad. Knew this woman. Literally, she dropped dead. And her husband had Alzheimer's. I was crushed. I I couldn't even believe it. Take care of your physical, mental health. Knew a caregiver who committed suicide. Mm -hmm. Caregiving is a hard journey. Mm -hmm. And I learned that I had to 
take care of myself mentally and physically. And I couldn't not let this disease beat me down. And it's easier said than done. Mm -hmm. I know that. I walked it. We do have to take care of ourselves. I I tell you, Raina, I say this because I have fibromyalgia. Mm -hmm. I suffer from migraines. And I have to give God the glory. I believe in God. And... That's where I got my strength. I because there's I don't know how I did it otherwise. There mm-hmm. were days where I could not even move. Wow, I was exhausted. Yeah, and uh, God just gave me the strength to go on. I'm there with you, girl. If we don't have the Lord, I don't know how we make it through these times. So <laughs> definitely mm-hmm. number one, right there, prayer and just realizing that we aren't alone because we have Him for sure. Why do you think that it's important for caregivers to educate themselves on their loved one's diagnosis or illnesses? Well, that's a great question. Knowledge is power, as they say. You have to know what to expect. And I know reading about it and seeing it is two different things. I didn't know about Alzheimer's or sundowning or hallucinations with my mother-in-law. That was 20 years ago. There wasn't much information at that time. Now there's a lot of information. Even with during that journey, there was more than when his mother had it, but still not like there is now. Mm-hmm. Especially when the pandemic happened and everybody was hitting Facebook and doing free webinars and everything. It's very important to know what to expect and how to handle it. How are you going to handle hallucination? And trust me, <laughs> believe me, it's very important to know what to do. You do not want to tell your loved one, that's not really happening because you're just going to cause more anxiety and more stress for both of you. But you wouldn't know that unless you were knowledgeable. Know about the medication. Know about the side effects. Don't be afraid to be a pain and to question a doctor, question the nurses, and be an advocate. That's another thing I didn't know I was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, always being an advocate, beginning with my son, who has special needs. If I didn't speak up for Josh, no one else was going to. If I don't speak up for Matt, no one else is going to. And I really had to battle from getting a diagnosis to the end of his life was a battle, which was unfortunate. But I was not afraid to speak up. Matt's primary care doctor, (laughs) this is funny, like I said, I can laugh now. (laughs) He said, Betsy, you have nothing to feel guilty about. He said, Believe me, I know you were an advocate. He goes, I know you were an advocate. As he knew, I had a big mouth. Mm-hmm. I'm tiny, I'm sure, but I got a big mouth. You have to set boundaries, too, as a caregiver. I always say this, you know your loved one, and go with your instinct. Go with your gut instinct. And I've always done that. I worked as a nurse, so I, I do have, I guess, natural instincts. And, you know, just for instance, the hospice didn't believe me that Matt was dying. They didn't believe me the medication wasn't working. They didn't believe me that he was dying. That was a mess. I told that hospice nurse, Matt's dying. No, he's not. I said, yes, he is. No, he's walking, talking, and eating. I said, well, actually, he's not walking. He's shuffling with the help of two people. And he's eating baby food and losing weight. Two weeks later, he was gone. Wow. And I told her, you have to think outside the box. Think outside your textbook because not everyone is going to fit 
a textbook picture. And I think all hospices should be educated. The younger a person is, and especially now, as more young people are being diagnosed, they may be walking around and dying like Matt was. And they're not going to be, may not be bedridden until near the very, very end. And like Matt was. I know that was one of the things that surprised me. Neither of my parents progressed to fetal state before passing. Neither one. Now, I mean, obviously within days of passing, they were quiet and, you know, didn't eat, didn't talk, all of those things. But neither one of them progressively went to that final stage that we hear about within Alzheimer's. So there's a percentage of them out there. And it is interesting because so many people just assume they're not dying until they get to that place. But my dad had a blood clot. And so that just his body just got tired. So it wasn't really the Alzheimer's progression that brought him to the end as much as it was that his body just couldn't heal from the surgery and all the trauma that it had. I think many times we just, like you said, we're expecting it to look one way and it really doesn't. It's not, nothing looks the same for everyone. Right, right. My mother-in-law, she was in a facility and she was walking around and I guess they you know, got them ready for bed and they found her dead in the bed. So she didn't have that transitioning. No. My father didn't. He, he just had trouble breathing and that was it. But what mattered was different. Mm-hmm. I saw the dying process. And it's weird, Raina, because I worked as a nurse. So I saw people die, but I never saw someone die like Matt did. The transitioning. And I think we need to all learn about the dying process. What does that look like? And I don't mean to sound morbid, but. We really need to learn about that because people have misconceptions, you know, about hospice. Oh, hospice stars them or hospice killed them. No, when you're dying, your body doesn't need food or liquids. Right. And it would actually do more harm. And I, I just felt guilty because Matt didn't have any IVs. And I think, oh, well, maybe if he had IV, it would have, it would have been better for him, but no, that, that wasn't the case. Yeah. It is such a difficult thing to walk our loved one all the way home, mm-hmm. especially because there is such a lack of understanding. And I agree with you. It's not anything that we want to learn, not anything yep. we want to have to read up on or, or gain more knowledge about, but it's definitely something that will be helpful because all of us are going to reach that point where walking our loved one home. And one way or another, it's happening. <laughs> so I, my sister and I went and saw Downton Abbey. We're big Downton Abbey fans. And after the movie was over, I said to Robin, I said, I'm so sad. That was such a horrible death scene. The, the matriarch passes away and she's in her bed and she's all looking lovely and she's talking to everyone and she says her final goodbyes and then she just closes her eyes and she's gone. And I'm just like, does it ever work like that? (laughs) We don't have a good idea of what it's like. And so I do, I agree with you, Betsy. Finding some knowledge and some understanding is important. And we only had a very short time with hospice. 
And so we did not have the education that I wish that we had. My daughter-in-law, Allie, who used to be my co-host, is a hospice nurse. And I know she does an amazing job of educating her families. There's some great companies out there, some great people out there Mm -hmm. that can really help families with that. But I think even before we reach there, it's it's good to learn and to, to build an understanding of it. Yes, yes, definitely. And, you know, you could afford to hire a consultant. Highly recommend doing that. Don't wait till you're at the end of your rope like I was. The doctor recommended the hospice added by our local hospital. And I knew they had a hospital unit in case Matt needed it, and he did. And I went with them and didn't research other companies. And I mean, the hospital part was very good. It was a home care that really was bad. Mm-hmm. Very bad. And like every job, there's good ones and there's bad ones and everything. So it yeah. is difficult. And I always just encourage people, if you're not connecting with the person that you have hired, they are your employee. You can fire them. So it's find right. someone else. Don't hang in there hoping that it gets better but find the one that works best for you. So, yeah. well, Betsy, it's been a great conversation today. For my listeners, tell them about how they can hear your show. Sure. name of my show is Chatting with Betsy, and it's on Spotify, Spreaker, Apple, Podchaser. And you're available yeah. on Facebook with your group. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Hashtag kick Alzheimer's ass movement is on Facebook. Everyone's welcome to join. I don't discriminate. Alzheimer's doesn't discriminate. Neither do I. So everyone's welcome from all walks of life. Well, thank you again for being a guest today. I think we've had some really valuable conversation today. Well, thank you for having me, Rain. I appreciate it. You're a doll. You're a great host. <laughs> thank you. And just a reminder, a Scenes of Caring podcast is created for the encouragement of family caregivers. If you have financial, legal, or medical questions, be sure to consult your local professionals. And take heart in your season of caring. This episode of the Season of Caring podcast has been brought to you by No Regrets, Hope for Your Caregiving Season, available at all major retailers. Tipa Snow, founder of Positive Perch to Care, shared, Every page of Raina Nysis' book is filled with wisdom, compassion, and profound insights. Reading it is like walking alongside your best friend. Only this best friend has embarked on the journey before and is now alongside to support, instruct, encourage, and motivate you. Her intentional approach to caregiving will broaden and deepen your own experience, enabling you to also discover the joy and satisfaction in caring for another. And no regrets, Raina shares the beautiful heartfelt story of caring for her parents and her passion to assist other caregivers. If you would like to pick up a signed copy of No Regrets, Visit noregrets-book.com and purchase a special bundle I've created just for you.